Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened to know your truth and your way. Amen. <clears throat> our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 27 through 38. Hear these words. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of God must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If it's uh, one thing that I'm convinced of uh, in growing older is that uh, geography and location uh, truly matter in ways that maybe we don't fully understand. Everything is contextualized. Um, in Cincinnati, which is a town in a state called Ohio, uh, it's right next to another state called Indiana. It's pretty much near Canada. Uh, there is a small part of Cincinnati that was settled by uh, German immigrants a long time ago on the west side. Cincinnati is a, a fascinating city. It's an old river town, so it's got that old river town feel to it, right? Steel basically paved the way there. Um, a lot of uh, mining in the, around in certain areas. Um, and there are seven hills uh, that they built uh, the city of Cincinnati on, named after Cincinnati. Uh, the Roman general. And so you have this uh, German immigrant sort of on the western side of Cincinnati that eat this food called geta. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you know what geta is? I got two folks in the booth who know what geta is, and that's because you were at the first service. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I mean. Context is everything, right? It's like here in Texas. We know what longhorns are. We know what brisket is and what a smoke ring is. This is all like in the culture of what it means to be a Texan. So we know these things. In Cincinnati, you got to know what geta is. You don't have to eat it. 
But you gotta know what it is. Gera is um, a breakfast food. It's sausage and oats mixed together that they make into patties? That's the best way to describe it. And then they eat it. And it's kind of like their chili, right? Cincinnati chili is like a puree of cinnamon and nutmeg, and it's not really chili as I know chili, but context matters. Location matters. Uh, where you are, geography matters. Now, if you were listening to our passage, you heard it. Uh, this it takes place in a particular area. This conversation that Jesus has with Peter, uh, the disciples, all takes place in a particular geographical area called Caesarea Philippi. You can go there today. You can see it. The city's still there. Um, but it looks like this on a map. Uh, that top red circle, that's Caesarea Philippi. And uh, the bottom red circle is Jerusalem, just to give you some context. And we know sort of the trajectory of Jesus' story. He begins life born in Bethlehem, and we know he ends up in Jerusalem, that bottom circle. He does travel a lot, right? This is before the automobile. This is before trains and uh, planes. Um, Jesus walks where he goes and ministers, and he has found his way all the way up uh, to this old Roman city north of the Sea of Galilee. That's that little blue speck you see right below the red circle. He is the farthest geographically that he will ever be from Jerusalem. And this passage takes place right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. So let's remind ourselves of a few things about the Gospel of Mark as we encounter the story today. Mark is one of four Gospels found in the New Testament. Nod your head. You're following along. There are four Gospels, right? It is one of three that we call the synoptic, which means same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar. Uh, It is debated which one came first, but most scholars believe that Mark was the first Gospel. And then after that was Matthew, and then Luke, and later John was written. John's very different. That's for another sermon and another time. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and today comes out of Mark chapter 8. We know that Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going. That's where his mission is going to take him. And here he is, the farthest he is from where he needs to go. And he turns and he asks his disciples a pivotal question. Who do you say that I am? What do people talk about when they talk about Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And they sort of hem and haw, don't they? They say, well, you know... Some people think you're like John the Baptist. And they kind of look at Jesus and he's like, others, right? And they're him and hauling. Well, some people think you're more like Elijah. And they're sort of him and haul and they're looking at Jesus. And then Jesus looks at Peter, says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus does a very strange thing. Does he not? Were you paying attention? He says, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody, which is very odd because you would think Peter got the answer right, right? He said, you're the Messiah. Bravo. Good job. But Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. Let me tell you about the son of man that he must come and suffer and die for many. And Peter sort of sits with this for a while, but it raises the question, why does Jesus hush Peter, tell him not to tell anybody? If you look at Mark as a whole, the first sort of eight chapters 
Jesus is always on the move, always on the go. The word that Mark uses more than any other word is immediately, 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 and then. It's like uh, a Jason Bourne action movie. It's just like consistently Jesus is on the move doing these things. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's feeding millions of people. He's talking. He's healing more people. He's uh, raising people from the dead. He's doing all these things in the first eight chapters of Mark. And then he's the farthest away from Jerusalem. And he says, who do you say that I am? And they go, you're the Messiah. We've seen it. And Jesus says, it's not like what you think. If you look at the back half of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does no miracles. None. Save for two. The healing of a blind man, and then the healing of a blind man. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to see what Jesus means when he says, I'm the Messiah, you have to look between the blind men, and he will show you what it is to be the Messiah. It's interesting because Peter says, you are the Messiah. He doesn't say you are the Son of God, which is interesting. Do you know the first person to claim that Jesus is the Son of God in the Gospel of Mark? It's a Gentile Roman centurion at the foot of the cross who pierces Jesus' side and says, surely this is the Son of God. It's like when he understands Christ in the midst of the crucifixion and the the gravity of all that situation, truly then and there does he understand that is the Son of God. It's not all the miracles and fun stuff up front. It's Jesus' sacrifice and how he moves to Jerusalem to accomplish this that sets it in context. So context matters. And when we have a biblical story, it's important to remember that geography and location matter. It tells us a lot about the context. It's like Jesus is the farthest away from his place where he needs to be, and he has this moment where it's a question of identity, perhaps. Who do you say that I am? And then he turns his face towards Jerusalem and he continues to show his disciples again and again who he is. We are going to be sitting with this word discipleship for the next uh, few weeks as we talk about what does it mean to journey closer to the heart of God? How do we align our hearts with God's heart? What are things that we can do to sort of grow in our discipleship? Um, We've identified sort of four stages of discipleship. Uh, There's stage one and two, which is sort of like flirting with Jesus, not too sure about Jesus, might do a couple things. If the church says, come and do something, you might say, "Eh, maybe. That'd be stage one and two. Then there's stage three. Uh, These people have struggled a lot with Jesus. Maybe they're leading a small group. They're sort of, um, Jesus is more involved in their life. And there's stage four folk who have completely relinquished all control and are focused entirely on what God would have for them. Uh, we'll be wrestling with this over the next few weeks and talking about it. And today I want to talk about what does it mean to, to journey a little bit closer to the heart of God. Because Jesus had disciples, did he not? We know that he had more than 12. Nod your head, you're following along. But there were 12 main ones, and we call them the apostles, which means sent one. And then there are uh, the disciples, which means learner. These people that sit at the feet of their teacher. And if I read the Gospel of Mark, if I read any of the Gospels, I'm fascinated by the disciples themselves. I identify a lot with Peter, someone who thinks he has the answer, and Jesus says, shh, don't tell him until you sit longer with me. I identify with Peter a lot, who is like, I want to follow you, God, and so I get out of the boat, but then I don't have enough faith, or the wrong, I believe in the wrong thing, so I begin to sink. And Jesus comes, and he pulls him and says, you little faith, why'd you doubt I see myself so much 
in the disciples who follow after Jesus. I'm also struck by a reality that the disciples didn't have all the right answers. Uh, and oftentimes I think we put them up on this pedestal of saying, wow, if only I had been a disciple of Jesus, if I had seen him, then I would have more faith or I would know more. And it's just not true. When you read the Gospels, so many times they fall short. They get the wrong answer. They're always arguing about the wrong thing, like, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, who's going to sit on your right hand and your left? Who gets to wear the nice suit and, you know, be really important? And Jesus says, you got to give it all away, man. And the disciples are like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> they get really frustrated. They're arguing about the wrong thing. They're wrestling with the wrong thing. I'm encouraged by the disciples sometimes, uh, and sometimes I see myself too clearly in them. It makes me pause. So if uh, geography and location matter, if the positioning, perhaps, of your heart could be placed on a map in relation to where God wants you to be, I wonder where your heart is. Is it like as far from Jerusalem as Caesarea Philippi? Is it, is it somewhere else geographically? How close are you in your relationship and your walk with God? With God? Are you near? Are you far? Does it wander and waver? What's your understanding of God, and how does that play out in your life? So today, instead of having sort of a communal expectation or talking about things that we can do as a community, I want to talk to you as an individual. I want to talk about there are three things I think that you can do uh, sort of to take a next step, to bring your heart more in line with God's heart. Three things that you can do in your life to pick up and grow in your discipleship, to use that language. So, the first one is, this is a shocker, it's read the Bible. Uh, it's read the Bible. And truly, I think you will be surprised when you read the Bible how much you're like, well, I thought I knew that story, but that's very different than what I remember. Let me give you an example. Like We've been talking about the Gospel of Mark. It's my favorite gospel because it's the shortest which means you can read it in one sitting and be done and be like, I read a whole book of the Bible, so I feel good about myself, right? It is it's a great book. It's only 16 chapters. You can read it in about 45 minutes. But I think it reveals things to us. All of a sudden you go, well, I thought Jesus like, came to save me from my sins. But he keeps talking about the kingdom of God all the time. All the time. So what is Jesus talking about? It's about the kingdom of God. Okay, well, what about the kingdom of God? Well, there's certainly salvation for sins in that. But it's interesting. See how it sort of reorients our mindset a little bit. Or you say, well, Jesus is a miracle worker. And then you read the back half of Mark and you go, well, he's not doing any miracles. Not a bad miracle worker, I guess. Or you say, well, Jesus is a great teacher. And then you read Mark and you go, well, he doesn't have a sermon on the mount. That's fascinating. It changes our perceptions of things that we take for granted or that we assume we know the answer to. So the first thing that you can do to bring your heart more in congruence with God's heart is read your Bible. You might gotta, maybe got to find it. It's like in the closet. I don't know where it could be. Just pull it out. I don't care what you read. Just pop it open and read something. I think you'll be moved and changed by what you read. I believe that God encounters us fresh through the Scripture. The second thing that you can do to sort of move your heart more in congruence with God's heart is to find a mentor. And this is uh, challenging, I think, no matter how old you are. I think it takes a good dose of humility to ask someone to mentor you. Because I see it all the time. Folks who are 80 
90, 70, think they got it all. They, they've been down that road, they understand it. Folks who are 15, 18, 20, think they know it all. They've been down that road. They understand it. It is a heart problem of us as humans to say, nah, man, I got this. No, you don't. No, you don't. And even if you do, you need each other. We need mentors in our life. They don't have to be older. They don't have to be younger. They don't have to be the same age. It doesn't matter what age they are because it's not about age. It's about our heart and what God is revealing to us. Uh, this week, I was uh, feeling a little overwhelmed, shocker, uh, with sort of all the stuff going on at Chapelwood and the tasks that I had and things I had to do. I had met with finance and SPRC. It had gone very well, and it was, it was great. But I was personally just like, man, I got to do a lot of stuff at home, too, you know, and I'm a dad, and I got like, go to I take care of myself, my health, and uh, I was panicking a little bit. So I, I called, right? This is a little bit like those of you who have a hard time asking for help. It's me. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to call. I need to call him. So I called um, my district superintendent, who is my boss. He's the guy in charge of, like, you know, telling the bishop where to appoint me. And so this is a big deal. I call him. I say, look, I know that you're the DS. You are the mission strategist. You are the taker of, like, clergy inventory to see who's available and all of that. I go, but I don't need any of that today. I said, I need to talk to you as a pastor. (laughs) And he goes, I can do that. I mean, when you reach out and you sort of like swallow your pride and you say, I need a little bit of humility and I don't have all the answers and I just need to, can you be a soundboard? You'd be surprised at the charity and generosity that people will turn around and show you. It just takes a little bit of humility on our part to say, I need a mentor in this moment. It can be about anything. So the first one is read your Bible. The second one is find a mentor and ask. The third one is seasonal. I think the third thing that you can do to bring your heart in congruence with God's heart is to participate in the rhythms of the church. Uh, In particular, Lent, y'all, is just around the corner. I promise one day you're going to show up here and all of a sudden this will be purple and we'll have purple on the altar and you'll be like, purple. It's Lent already. I totally forgot, right? If you're like me, it happens, right? I'm telling you now that Lent is coming. And a way to grow in your discipleship is to truly participate in Lent. For the longest time, I used to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I uh, observed Lent, but like I never did anything because that that, that'd be hard. <laughs> uh, I want to encourage you truly to like give something up. Something that you love, something that you're dependent on, something that you uh, look towards, uh, something like that, that will be a sacrifice. Give something up. It changes who you are as a person. Second thing I want to encourage you to do during Lent is to add something. Add a spiritual discipline. It could be reading your Bible. It could be praying every day. It could be finding a mentor and meeting with them. It could be mentoring somebody else. I don't know what it is. But truly, participate in Lent. Because when you do that, it changes your heart. It changes who you are. So again, there's no sort of communal activity for us to take. This is about you as an individual and your discipleship. I imagine what this place would look like if we all truly took a next step in our discipleship and we stepped out in faith this season. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.